0: Hey folks, Quinn here. In celebration of our third podversary and reaching 100,000 downloads, we are releasing the last of our Patreon-exclusive NPC Origins episodes from Season 1. In this episode, special guest Reed from Deimos Paradox and Bring Your Own Mech stars as everyone's favorite Bay agent, Lamond Pax, in the early days of their career. Episodes like this are made possible thanks to the generosity of our Patreon supporters. We literally wouldn't have time to produce them without our new editor Ian backing us up. So, if you enjoy this episode and want to see what wonderful weirdness we are cooking up to accompany Season 2, I'd encourage you to check out our Patreon by heading over to patreon.com slash monsterhour, or by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you all for three amazing years of Monster Hour. And without further ado, please enjoy the delightfully sinister M.H. Origins, Pax Hour. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special Patreon episode of Monster Hour. I'm Quinn, your keeper of monster and mysteries, and I am thrilled to be joined today by special guest, Reed. Hello. Reed, do you want to let folks know about yourself and where they can find your work?
1: Yeah, hi everybody. I'm Reed. You can find me on Reed Plays at Twitter. My pronouns are they, them, by the way. And I am a GM of two different Lancer RPG actual play podcasts. The first of which I started like about a year ago, that's called the Demos Paradox. You can find it at Demos Paradox, D-E-I-M-O-S-P-A-R-A-D-O-X. And I also have just started another Lancer podcast called Bring Your Own Mech. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't get enough of Lancer, so I had to to start another show. And uh, that is at own mech on Twitter. And both of them are a lot of fun. Deimos Paradox is more like philosophical sci fi bring your own mech is more like cowboy bebop firefly meets outlaw star kind of stuff. So a lot more of a comedy. That's pretty much where you can find me. Yeah, I don't know anything else I should say about myself.
0: No, that's perfect. (laughs) So as soon as you finish listening to this, definitely go check out one or both of those shows.
1: Oh, yes, please. And it's a good time to start because uh, neither of them have too many episodes at this point. So you can jump right into the beginning of the story. It's a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. So today we are making good on probably the most requested uh, NPC backstory episode, delving into <laughs> the origins of late season favorite, the Bureau of Aberrant Events' finest, Agent Lamond Pax, the Initiate. Reed, any questions before we get started?
1: No, just that I'm so honored to be lending a voice to such a popular character, so hoping yes. I do it justice.
0: <laughs> You're going to be great. All right, let's get to it. Yeah. Agent Pax. You are seated in one of the sterile, fluorescent Bureau of Apparent Events briefing rooms inside the J. Edgar Hoover Building. Despite serving as the official headquarters for the Unnatural Order's operations in North America, the Brutalist Building and its stale offices have always felt at odds with the lofty goals and ideals of the Order. The resources of the United States federal government are on full display, however. As Director O'Shaughnessy, the head of the BAE, effortlessly summons a full dossier of information across a series of enormous displays. The screens show variously an aerial view of a small town swimming amidst a sea of pines, a series of reports from the county sheriff, a monitor with real-time data displaying leyline activity, and a personnel file for another member of the order. Seated next to you in the briefing room, the only other person there besides the director is senior agent Alden Verity. Pax, tell me a little bit about Agent Verity. Of
1: course. Agent Verity has copper skin, dark hair that's maybe a little on the shaggy side. Like he's he's not terribly vain and only gets a haircut every, you know, several months. It's thick, it's <laughs> going salt and pepper. Of course, he's got on an impeccable suit that fits perfectly. Agent Verity looks like he was made to wear the suit. Pax maybe doesn't always feel the same. Like, they still have to grow into theirs. I think that's Agent Verity.
0: Uh, When Hannah listens to this episode, she's going to demand to know where Agent Verity is in the main (laughs) (laughs) storyline.
1: I know. I was thinking about the description for Verity, and I was like, oh, man, Hannah's going to go nuts for this. She <laughs> I made a total delf.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Agent Verity gives you a reassuring look as O'Shaughnessy finishes fiddling with the displays and turns to face the two of you. Four days ago, Agent Meadowlark was deployed to Big Pine, Oregon, to investigate reports of paranormal activity in the area. While we were skeptical that the entity in question was actually a spirit manifested, our sensors did pick up a flare in magical activity along the nearest ley line. Meadowlark was supposed to provide a status update to me yesterday, but he never reported in. We've had no contact from him since then. I need the two of you to go find out what happened to him, and complete his assignment if he is unable to do so. Do you understand?
1: Pax nods and says, Of course, but also is like kind of looking to Agent Verity.
0: Of course, sir. Anything we should know. And Pax. Why don't you go ahead and roll your start of mystery move for the initiate?
1: Yes. Do you want me to read out the rest of it?
0: Sure. Why don't you give it a quick read?
1: Yeah. Okay. So when you're in good standing with your sect at the beginning of each mystery, roll plus charm. On a 10 plus, they provide some useful info or help in the field. On a seven to nine, you get a mission associated with the mystery. And if you do it, you'll get some info or help too. On a miss, they ask you to do something bad. If you fail a mission or refuse an order, you'll be in trouble with the sect until you atone.
0: Okay. Give it a roll.
1: Yeah, so fair warning that, you know, I felt like what was most appropriate for PAX was to be sharp and a little bit cool, but not terribly charming. That uh,
0: sounds so. right, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so my charm is plus zero. We'll give it a go, though. Oh, wow. That's snake eyes. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, no. I roll like a GM.
0: You do. God. Uh how how do you put your foot in your mouth here
2: Pax?
1: Oh, I think that maybe Pax turns to Verity and says something along the lines of well, I mean, Agent Meadowlark is known for sometimes being unreliable. How do we how do we know that he's just not checking in a little late?
0: I think Verity gives you a disapproving look uh, and then glances over to O'Shaughnessy. And he looks like a storm cloud rolling in. (laughs) And he looks at you, Pax, and says, do you think this is a joke,
1: agent? Pax is uh, immediately kind of recognized that they've um, overstepped. Says, no, no, of course not, sir. This is not a joke.
0: In our line of business, agent, we take everything seriously. Just because you think that Meadowlark has his head in the clouds doesn't mean that this couldn't be something gravely important. You're right. Of course. How many times have we told you, Agent Pax, that you are too reckless, too foolhardy, too headstrong, not just with your own actions, but with your consideration of others? I think a point needs to be made, don't you, Verity? And Verity looks reluctantly at the director and then you and nods. And O'Shaughnessy continues- Agent Pax, please turn over your weapons to Verity.
1: What? But sir-
0: Perhaps a demonstration of some restraint on this assignment is merited.
1: But I- But my magic- I can still use my magic? Of course. Okay. Um, Pax looks obviously really taken aback. And they have a 9mm that they um, have strapped to their hip- and they very reluctantly hand it over and i think again they kind of looked at age and verity with a mixture of apology on their face and also like come on man you know
0: <laughs> verity gives you a look of sympathy but also reproachment like yeah you you put yourself in this mess and we'll deal with it when like we get yeah. in the field but for the time being just Try not to make things worse. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the director shows you the door, and uh, there's a, a short conversation between him and Verity. And a few minutes later, Verity emerges, and the two of you are on your way. You are to depart immediately. Okay. You and Agent Verity board one of the Bureau's charter jets and head out on a red eye to Big Pine, Oregon. On the flight, you had a chance to review the dossier in a bit more detail, Uh, and I think if you have any questions for Verity along the way, we can talk through that as well, but the dossier provides you with a bit of information. Okay. Agent Meadowlark may have not reported his activity, but you have a pretty good idea of where he likely started his investigation. The precipitating event uh, that got him deployed out here was a series of peculiar phenomena reported on 6th Street in Big Pine. Several families reported feeling like they were being watched in their homes, objects being moved while they were out of the room, and extended unnatural silences in their presence. And one child in particular told his parents and later the local sheriff that he awoke in the middle of the night to a shadowy figure sitting at the foot of his bed, rifling through his toy chest. He tried to run, but couldn't move. Tried to scream, but nothing came out. The incident was ruled a night terror after the sheriff's deputy failed to find any evidence of an intruder. And as you read that passage, you feel a nagging memory in the back of your mind. A nightmare that you had as a kid. Yeah. Any questions about the information in the dossier or any conversations that you and Verity would have on the plane and or drive over?
1: Yeah, so Agent M started his investigation on 6th Street, you said? That is likely, likely. Uh, given
0: that that's where all of the incidents were reported.
1: Okay. And 6th Street, is it just like mostly a residential area? Is it rural? I mean, I guess street kind of implies that it's probably partially residential or maybe part of like a town center. Like, I guess I'm trying to gauge like where in the town this is.
0: Yeah, it is uh, not on Main Street, but close. The whole town is not particularly large, uh, and the surrounding area is pretty rural, mostly forest and logging, Mm -hmm. but it's in town to the extent that anything is sort of in town.
1: Right. And it's not just like one family, it's multiple?
0: Yeah, so several houses. Okay. Although only only one family reported actually seeing a figure.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, I- don't think I have any other questions, but I think I wouldn't mind talking to Agent Verity.
0: I think on the flight over, he is quietly and meticulously, as he is wont to do, reviewing the dossier, making notes uh, in the margins, and and generally just preparing mentally as much as he can.
1: Yeah. And I think at one point, Pax sort of is attempting a little peace offering, maybe are we taking a commercial flight or is this like a fancy government flight?
0: <laughs> it's a private charter jet, so it's okay. not. You are alone, but it's not like exceedingly fancy.
1: Okay, maybe I brought some snack with me or something. Uh, maybe like I I got some peanut butter M Ms. There we go. Mm. And as a little bit of a peace offering, haha, Pax uh, offers <laughs> him one and says, um. Look, I'm I'm sorry about earlier. I, I spoke out of turn. I didn't mean to put you in that position.
0: You know the director has a temper. Why do you incite him this way? I, I have to log any incident where I hand your firearm to you and the precipitating yes. event and level of danger. This is a very annoying level of paperwork, Lamont.
1: I'm sorry. I... I don't really know what came over me, I think. It just feels like it's been, you know, I'm, I'm ready for the field. I feel like I've been working hard, training hard, and this, frankly, sir, feels like an assignment that maybe isn't worth my time. I'm ready for better things.
0: You are ready for the field, Pax. You're excelling in all of your training. Where you could use some practice, and where I hope I can provide some guidance, is the office dynamics. (laughs) Even in the Bureau of Aberrant Events, you have to be careful what you say and to who. Otherwise, you wind up on a rescue mission. But make no mistake, if our brother is missing, we have an obligation to find him.
1: Of course. I... you're right.
0: And... If you are right, and he simply forgot to file his paperwork, he will be in for a far worse punishment from the director than the one you received.
1: (laughs) Pax smirks at that. Well, what are your thoughts on this phenomena?
0: It's hard to say without getting down there on the ground, but the reports are sparse, of course, as you know. There are thousands of these every week from all across the country, but... We did sense an activity along the ley line. That seldom happens by accident. Yes. We had no reports of an agent or any other practitioner in the area. It seems difficult to imagine that it is a spirit, but perhaps something was here.
1: Yes, I. Perhaps. Perhaps I'm wrong, but something about this all feels familiar. Oh. Specifically the report about the the child.
0: Have you seen this before?
1: I think Pax takes a long moment. And at this point in their life, you know, I think that they've they've had a few different colors in their hair um, at different points in their life. At this point, it's a very bright shade of violet. And I think they say it feels like a dream. And maybe it was, but there's something about this that is bothering me. It just feels too familiar to be... I don't know. Perhaps, as you say, we'll learn more when we reach the ground.
0: I think they give you a curious look, but don't press you any further on it. Mm -hmm. And just nod quietly and take a bite of one of the peanut m ms I think you know that's his weakness. (laughs) He has a fondness for peanut M&M's.
1: Oh, yes. I know it well.
0: So we uh, fast forward and we see the two of you pulling into Big Pine, Oregon in a unmarked black SUV. Mm -hmm. Where are you headed?
1: I'm sure that Agent Verity wants to check out 6th Street first, and Pax would agree. That seems to be the most likely place that Agent uh, Metalark started his investigation, and that seems like the best place to go.
0: So the two of you head over to Sixth Street. It's sort of a long line of old and, and very adorable homes, a number of craftsmen's. They all have nice manicured lawns, a handful have very nice gardens. There's quite a few pine trees, and you can see one of them has a swing where a child is swinging back and forth, but it's generally unremarkable. And I think after just a few moments, you arrive at the string of houses where the reports were filed.
1: I look to Agent Verity. Which house was the one that the child reported the sighting?
0: He opens his tablet and uh, pulls up the dossier, looks at the address, and then points to one of the houses just a a short ways ahead, 213 6th Street.
1: All right. I look to Agent Verity and say, do you think it would be pertinent for me to ask the family if perhaps Agent Metalark has stopped by to ask any questions?
0: Yes. Why don't we both go? Would you rather interview the family or hmm. investigate in a more surreptitious fashion? And he smiles ever so slightly.
1: <laughs> uh, I think Pax smiles slyly back and says, well, why not both? Hmm. People never tell you the truth. Not really. It's better to get the full picture, don't you agree?
0: Of course. Shall we? Of course. The two doors on your black SUV open, and the two of you make your way up to the front door. Uh, I think you know from the dossier, this house belongs to Luna and Parveen and their son, Aiden, who is the one who reported the sighting of the figure. Okay, Verity heads up to the front door, delivers three swift knocks and produces his FBI Bureau of Aberrant Events badge and the door swings open. In front of you you can see a woman in her mid 40s. Uh she has long dark hair. She looks a bit tired, I would say, um a bit worn out and uh she she answers the door and looks Verity and you behind him up and down and with a bit of exasperation says We've already talked to the police. We've, uh, we've already filed the, the statement. I don't, uh, I don't think we have anything more to say. I think we'd, we'd like to just, uh, just move, move on past this.
1: Of course. And that's why we're here.
0: We are here to provide some assistance to your, your local law enforcement. We have expertise in incidents such as, as this and are here to provide a little bit of support. My name is Agent Verity, and I am with the Bureau of Aberrant Events, the Federal Bureau of Investigations. And he flashes his badge, and the woman looks mildly taken aback.
1: Pax also flashes their badge, but it's probably less <laughs> impressive.
0: <laughs> and she looks at the two of you and says, oh, all right, I suppose. Um, come, come on in. Come on in. Thank you, ma'am. As she welcomes you inside, she shouts into the kitchen uh, and says, Parveen, dear um we have uh some some guests uh, they are uh from the the FBI. They're here to help with the investigation uh, apparently um I guess uh and uh, another woman pokes her head out from the kitchen. She's wearing an apron, and you can see she's working on breakfast. Her dark hair is pulled up in a loose bun uh, and she has a a warm smile even as she sort of leans out with a, a look of you know modest surprise and says, "Welcome to our home." Can I interest anyone I I think I think I might have enough. Can I interest anyone in some pancakes? Fresh huckleberries. I think
1: Pax looks at Verity and says, "Well, just one. Thank you for having us in your home. Anything we can do to help with this situation, we are we are here to help." Of course, thank you so much. We really
0: appreciate it. I'm a little surprised that the federal government has decided to step in, but, you know, If you can catch whoever broke into our house and scared the bejesus out of our son, then that sounds great to me. Have a seat. I'll bring those pancakes right out. Of course. Verity flashes a hand to signal that he would also like a pancake. (laughs) After a few minutes, you and Luna and Parveen are seated around the kitchen table with some huckleberry pancakes.
1: Ugh. Ugh. You're just making me reminisce over my childhood right now. Going out (laughs) and picking fresh huckleberries and then making some pancakes.
0: Quintessentially Northwest activity.
1: Oh, so quintessential. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, Pax is sitting and says, well, ma'am, is your your son Aiden home?
0: Yes, he is up in his room right now. I think he might still be sleeping. He's had trouble falling asleep, and it's really, unfortunately, quite disrupted his schedule. We're letting him stay home from school today, but he's upstairs.
1: Of course. Pax looks to Verity for a moment again, as they usually do when they're about to do something. Because I feel like at this point in their career, while they feel like they're ready for the field, they still often look to Agent Verity as like almost a sort of security in a way. Mm -hmm. I think they say, I apologize to ask you this, but if you could possibly wake up your son and I could take a look around his room.
0: Give me a role to manipulate someone.
1: I'm also so bad at charm, and I'm a little a little <laughs> dice shy at this point. All right, here we go. Oh, okay. That is an 11.
0: On a 10+, plus, they will do it for the reason that you gave them. I think the reason here is pretty simply that you're conducting an investigation and you have credible authority to appeal to. Yeah. So I think the two of them share kind of a a moment and a look and then Luna nods and uh, heads up these stairs and a few moments later you see a young boy probably about uh, six maybe seven definitely has Luna's countenance dark hair dark eyes there are definitely bags underneath him you can tell he has not been sleeping well and the two of them head downstairs and he kind of looks warily at you and Verity.
1: Yeah, I think that as the kid is um, coming out of his room, I think Pax like kneels down to get on his level and mm-hmm. says, Hi there, Aiden. I've heard you've been having a little bit of trouble sleeping lately.
0: He kind of leans into his mother and doesn't say anything, but nods ever so slightly.
1: I'm going to take a look in your room, okay? Is that all right with you? I want to make sure that whatever was in here doesn't come back
0: he looks up at luna and she nods and then he looks at you and he nods
1: i think that they uh, also give aiden a little peanut m&m <laughs> <laughs> um
0: he takes it first he he sort of looks at it skeptically i think he looks up at his mom again uh, and she nods and he takes it very gingerly and then pops it into his mouth and starts chowing down
1: yeah, I think that like Pax, when they were a kid, like peanut M&Ms were always like a little treat that made them kind of feel better when things were hard. And so it's something they usually carry with them. And, you know, they see a lot of themselves, maybe even in this kid. Yeah. And I think that as the kid and uh, his mom go downstairs, Pax looks to Verity and says think i'm going to take a look and see see if this really is uh magic worthy
0: verity nods looks back at the family and says yes go take a look i will go over the details again with the family and see if there's anything that our local friends might have not picked up on
1: of course i'll let you know what i find likewise and i enter the uh i enter the child's room
0: you head upstairs and step into Aiden's room. It is a pretty quintessentially, you know, young boy's room. I think it's a little bit of a mess, to put mm. it generously. Um, you know, there's quite a few toys and stuff sort of about. There's a number of books and posters with superheroes and dinosaurs. It's a very... um to say it lacks a theme or consistency is, is, um, is probably accurate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but by and large, you know, it looks like a normal kid's room.
1: Okay. I think that the first thing that I do is I go to the foot of the bed where the child reported seeing this shadow. And I think that I'm going to attempt to use magic here to view another time or place.
0: Okay. Pax's magic is much more like spell component and ritual based. Yes. Uh, so I'm just trying to think about like what components it might need.
1: Totally, I could see it being like a mix of drawing some sigils, maybe some other consumable components, also pulling out a map of the local ley lines because I know that's really important. It takes some time. I feel like
0: yeah I think that makes a lot of sense so Pax I think you've got some small scrolls prepared that I think form the basis of many of your spells so you <laughs> produce one of those it's like a it's not a large scroll it's sort of like I'm picturing maybe like the size of like a toothpick or a q-tip almost the parchment is just like microns thin yeah so you you have uh one of those that I think forms the the basis of this spell but yes as you mentioned it's going to require some some supplemental sigils uh, etched around the area to sort of anchor and then sometimes time to align with the latent energies from the ley line so none of that i think is going to be an impediment uh, Mm -hmm. to doing this it's just going to take you a little bit but go ahead and give me a roll to use magic
1: okay i get to roll plus weird and uh the nice thing is i do have plus two to that Mm, i'm i'm glad that i have plus two to that because (laughs) that's a six and a one on the dice that will be seven plus two is nine so mixed success
0: on a seven and nine, choose a glitch.
1: Okay. Oh, goodness. I do love a problematic side effect.
0: Don't we all love a problematic side we effect? We do.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll take the problematic side effect.
0: I think the problematic side effect here is that your perspective is limited in a way. Like mm-hmm. Oftentimes when you do this, you can get a 360 view. So I don't think, I don't think you can see everything as you wind back into the past here. Right, But you are able to see something. Mm -hmm. Within the bounds of your spell area, time rolls back and back, and the light recedes from this room as day turns to night, and you see the night before. You see Aiden lying asleep in bed. You're moving forward and back through time, trying to figure out when this happens. And then you pause on a moment as a long slender hand reaches out from the darkness beneath his bed and slowly starts to pull its way out the arm that follows is equally thin and spindly it's clad in patchwork clothing, worn and filthy, mottled grey and faded black the fabric is stitched tight to the skin taut in a way that could only be sewn into it And slowly, this entity pulls itself out from underneath the bed. Your mixed success is that you don't get a good look at its face as it pulls itself out, but you do see it root through the toy box and skitter about the room, pushing and pulling and looking underneath things. It's searching for something, clearly. And then you see Aiden's eyes open, and this thing snaps to attention. Aiden's mouth opens, but nothing comes out. He starts to sit up. You can see his muscles tense, but then he stops. And this thing walks over, steps onto the bed, and crouches over him. And for probably at least five minutes, just sits there and stares at him. And then skitters back underneath the bed. And that's the last you see of it. Hmm. And Pax, as you're watching this, you feel a tightness in your chest as you remember the dream that you had as a kid.
1: What is this thing? I'm assuming that the spell is sort of fading now.
0: I believe so, yeah.
1: Okay. Can I roll investigate a mystery based off of what I've seen of it so far? Looking for any kind of signs that this thing might have left, if it's purely incorporeal, if it's physical.
0: If you're looking around the room using this information, looking for something interesting or valuable, Mm -hmm. yeah, go ahead and give me a roll to investigate a mystery.
1: There's definitely some things I can glean from the physical room here. So that's still going to be a five. (laughs)
0: Did you add the plus one forward from your mystic move?
1: Well, that's still going to be a six. (laughs) True. (laughs) It's bad.
0: The other thing I will say, you don't have to use it now, but one thing I forgot to mention is that in all one shots, you have one point of luck if you want to use it, and you're not doomed when you use it. So that's an option for you, but you you don't have to use it now.
1: Fair. You know, I mean, I'm a sucker for the drama, so I'd love to just fail horribly and see what happens.
0: Failing forward.
1: Exactly. And I feel like flavor-wise it makes sense too. Like I'm sort of reliving this childhood nightmare by watching it also happen to this child. I think that would be a little bit disconcerting at the very least.
0: Yeah. I think that's it. I think you are on tilt a little bit. I think you're you're off kilter and you can feel your heart pounding in your chest as you look around the room and we see you examine the desk and look at the window and in the closet and look under the bed and I think we get a, a view of you, like of your face, like looking out from under the bed. We see you stare in there and, and sort of uh, swat around with your hand and then pull back out and we, we pan in and we see just this faint purple scene. In the far back of the dark space underneath the bed. Mm -hmm. And it pulses once and then twice and then fades away. And we follow you back downstairs.
1: Great. I go to find Agent Verity and uh, pull him aside and let him know what I saw.
0: I think he glances over at the family and nods sagely and says, That tracks. The kid is. Really shook up, unsurprising given what you saw.
1: Yes. Did they encounter Agent Meadowlark at all? Has he been here?
0: He has, yes. He came on his first day here. Similar questions, he went and and looked up in the room. He didn't disclose much, obviously, but he said he would follow up if anything came of his investigation. He didn't come back. Well. The boy mentioned something. You said this figure was searching?
1: Yes. It, it was searching for something. I don't know what I... My magic didn't go quite as planned. I saw enough to understand it is looking for something, but I don't know what.
0: The boy, Aiden, he mentioned that another kid at his school, a uh, older boy named Zeke, took something from him, a locket that his parents gave him, a family heirloom, apparently. He was... Too ashamed to tell his his parents, but Hmm. an old object could be noteworthy. Interesting. He said we could probably find him and his friends hanging out in the band room uh, after school. They have a a spare key, apparently. The band teacher never checks in.
1: Of course not. It did seem to be focused mostly on the boy's toy chest. So we have a missing locket
0: and a missing agent a lot of things missing
1: it's true
0: you can see verity looks you can tell when he's he's sort of ruminating on something Mm -hmm. like he's he's toying with an idea that he's not quite ready to share but you can see the gears turning and he he looks at you and says i think perhaps we should go to the school
1: huh so we're following up on school children now
0: Unless you found a better lead upstairs, I'm afraid so.
1: (laughs) Unfortunately not. I didn't get a good look at the thing's face. This might be the best lead we have.
0: Very well. We should head that way. Yes. Pax, you and Verity, I would say head across town, but it's like a less than five minute drive to the (laughs) Redwood Unified School District, the joint elementary middle high school in town. Mhm. I think that school has, has sort of just let out as you all are approaching, so there's hordes of of children of all ages sort of streaming out. It's a scene of minor controlled chaos as you all <laughs> arrive.
1: Yeah, and it's definitely weird for Pax. I think that they haven't been near a school like this in a long time, so they're sort of a little uncertain with all these children, uh, and and specifically just the institution of a school in general. I think they can deal with children.
0: If Verity is nonplussed in, in any way, he doesn't seem to show it, uh, although that is not unusual. Yeah. And he makes his way rather calmly towards... I think the administrative building. I think he would insist that you all check in there beforehand to make your well, yeah. whereabouts known.
1: It's just good a good praxis in general with schools. Yes, announce your arrival.
0: Yes, but there is no uh, there's no qualms with you all mm-hmm. taking a look around after you explain who you are and what you're doing. Yeah. The two of you make your way towards the band room. Uh, I think it abuts the auditorium, obviously, where there's a large performance space. Uh, and there's you know a big practice space. And then there's sort of the adjoining equipment storage room. And you can see as you approach that the door is unlocked and slightly ajar.
1: I think that I just go up to the door and barely try and peek around the corner without like really opening it or uh, alerting anyone inside that I'm doing so. Yeah, you know, I think
0: as a trained federal agent in this circumstance, there's no reason to make you roll for it. So yeah, I think you sort of creep up to the door and take a peek inside and you can see the lights are off, but towards the far back, there's like a phone like on flashlight mode and you can see there are three teens who are sitting in chairs passing around a a joint between the three of them.
1: (laughs) I think that Pax gives Verity a little, uh, a little sly, knowing smile, and then I think they're gonna—he
0: cocks his eye.
1: Yeah, I give him some sort of signal of like, all right, on my signal. He nuts. And I think that you know, let it be known that Pax does occasionally have a sense of humor. <laughs>
0: Established
1: and I think that Pax sort of like bursts through the door and says, "Nobody move in their most like imposing FBI voice.
0: yeah, uh, I think. Two of them freeze and one of them starts and and falls to the ground and then starts running towards the fire exit and like trips over some equipment and and is making a a very botched abortive escape attempt.
1: Uh, Can I attempt to stop the one that's trying to flee?
0: Sure. Give me a roll to act under pressure.
1: All right. I was worried you were going to say kick some ass. So I'm glad it's action no, in pressure. No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank God.
0: You're in a low light situation trying to navigate a bunch of band equipment.
1: Exactly. Uh, it's
0: it's getting to the kid, not. Yeah, cuz I think <laughs> I think
1: I'm <laughs> Yeah, like I think I'm just going to not like tackle to take him out or anything really extreme but just to keep him from escaping, you know, be as gentle as I can cuz he is a child. Yeah. Jesus Christ, I'm rolling like shit. That's six.
0: Okay, um, I think you hurdle over like a, a drum set that you can sort of just barely make out through the illumination and sort of bob and weave your way through several other pieces of equipment, but are, are tripped up by a loose cord that you just didn't quite see and sort of tumble to the ground. And just as you right yourself, you see that emergency fire exit swing open and then shut. Damn it. And as you write yourself, I think Agent Verity flips on the overhead lights, uh, and you can see a pair of teens. One winsome-looking, uh, slightly boyish young teen, young man who is currently holding the joint, and a, a, a grungier-looking young woman, I think, with a short dyed black uh, haircut, nice, uh, who's seated next to him.
1: And what was the the kid that specifically that we're looking for? What was uh,
0: you were looking for Zeke.
1: Zeke, right. I think I, I, I sort of try to recover myself in the most composed way that I can. And I flash my badge just just for the hell of it. And I say, I'm with the FBI. Which one of you is Zeke?
0: The two of them look nervously. And then one of them tries to sort of stifle a, an involuntary laugh. And the young woman points at the door.
1: Pax says, under their breath. Shit. And I think they they look to Verity and say, permission to pursue.
0: He looks at you and and grins and says, if you think you can catch him.
1: (laughs) I think that Pax gives him a look and says, what do you take me for? And starts running after this kid.
0: You throw open the door to the emergency exit, and the the bright afternoon sunlight shines down on you, and you can see a figure, a young man, sprinting ahead and throwing open one of the main doors to the school.
1: Okay. I go to follow. I say, stop! I just want to talk!
0: You take off running and throw open the same door, and you are greeted by a long hallway filled with lockers, Mm -hmm. but no sign of Zeke. What do you do?
1: I am trying to bank on this kid being, like, scared of me being FBI and saying, All right, kid, if you come out, I promise you won't get in trouble. I just need to talk to you. I didn't mean to scare you before. Just come on out. Silence. <sighs> Damn kids. And uh I think in this case, I will investigate a mystery here with the intent to figure out where he went, that sort of thing.
0: Okay, give me a roll plus sharp.
1: Okay, and I'm rolling different dice because fuck these other (laughs) dice that are fucking me over tonight.
0: They are not treating you well.
1: Oh, my God. I feel like I got to use luck at some point. This is getting ridiculous. You are cursed. I am. I mean... I just rolled two twos.
0: Things are going to pop off uh, whether you use luck or not here (laughs) one way or another.
1: Well, you know what? I I feel like I'd rather use luck when I'm like directly maybe going to be harmed, but I'm probably going to be harmed with this. But you know what? Let's let's fail forward. Let's just do it. (laughs) Okay.
0: Pax, you move forward through this hallway. And I think about halfway, you see something, a small item reflecting faintly near one of the lockers. Mm -hmm. And as you approach, you can see that it is a locket.
1: I think that I probably have a flashlight on me, right? Yeah. I think that I'm like shining it and I, I'm looking for the kid. Do I see him anywhere?
0: Uh, You do not, no.
1: Okay, just the locket. I slowly approach the locket and I say, Zeke, if you're in here, I need you to come out.
0: You approach the locket and reach it and, and pick it up. And I think you can tell that it matches the description that Asian Verity relayed to you.
1: Well, what do you know? It's my lucky day.
0: As you study it, you hear a muffled scream come from one of the lockers.
1: Can I tell which one?
0: It's the one right in front of you.
1: Okay, I open it.
0: You open it and you see Zeke inside. He is not moving, but his eyes are open and he's staring in in abject terror, almost like he is paralyzed.
1: I like shine my lights in his eyes to see if his eyes are able to follow them. I say, Zeke, can you hear me? Do you understand me?
0: His eyes are like flitting back and forth, but he doesn't, he's not moving at all. They're just, they're just moving back and forth. And then they settle just over your shoulder. Oh. And Pax, you are yanked backwards and drug into one of the lockers, but you don't feel anything behind you as the door slams shut. All you can feel is paralysis. No, no, no. And as you say those words, you move your mouth, but no sound comes out. And through the slits in the locker, you see a figure walking down the hallway. Long arms, longer fingers, thin and spindly, the same patchwork clothing sewn in as you saw before, but this time it turns to face you. Its face, so to speak, is painted on a single burlap sack, drawn tight around its neck. Nope. The only real feature are a pair of dull, milky-gray orbs gazing out from two makeshift eye holes, barely visible unless they catch the light. And it stares directly into your eyes and holds one of its two long fingers up to where its mouth should be in a hushing motion. And through the slits in the locker, we look into your eyes, and looking back, we see a much younger you. You are lying motionless in your childhood bed, the only illumination coming from the full moon shining in through your window. We pan slowly out and away from the close-up on your face until a shadowy figure comes into frame. It's sitting, crouched atop your chest, leaning in. And as it crosses into the moonlight, we can see those dull milky eyes. It has a pair of scissors in its hand. It thrusts them up towards your face but it comes away not with blood, but a single lock of hair. The mouth painted on its burlap face stretches the twisted imitation of a smile, with a sharp skitter, disappears. We see the next morning, your parents chastising your overactive imagination, not moments before Verity arrives to spirit you away for good. And that scene fades away we return to the present, and you hear the door to the building swing open, and Verity's voice call out, Pax, are you here?
1: I try to yell, I'm here!
0: You move your lips, and the sound just barely escapes. It's like a dull whisper, and you can see this figure stare at you, and the mouth painted on its burlap face stretches in a twisted imitation of a smile. And then it turns and disappears from your view as it starts walking towards the voice of Verity.
1: Am I able to move my body at all? Give me
0: a roll plus. Give me a roll to use magic. Do something beyond human limitation.
1: Okay. Motherfucker. <laughs> I'm using fucking luck. That was a two and a one on the dice. <laughs> okay. So I'm using luck.
2: You
0: use your point of luck, so you succeed as if you had rolled a twelve plus. What does it look like?
1: You know, PA- Pax is like a little bit angry underneath it all. I think that anger of not having control is just bubbling up. That I, I think that as far as magic goes. Maybe there's like some sort of emergency sigil or something like on their person that they could use if they're ever in a situation that like they just need emergency magic. It's not really advisable or always stable.
0: I like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there are some sigils like tattooed on yes. you. Yes.
1: Yes. That was exactly what I was thinking about. Like something, yeah. something on like their wrist. Maybe even a lot of people at the um, Unnatural Order have them, but Verity has always been very careful to say, you know, you are never to use these unless you have no other option because I I think it's so unpredictable.
0: I like that a lot. Uh, I think because you succeeded using a luck point here, there's not going to be like the potential for this to be very dangerous is real, but you're able to pull it off.
1: Yeah, I think that they just channel that anger and that desperation. And I think that they're able to not only break free of this paralysis, but to also maybe if you'll let me like bust the locker door open. Oh hell like, yeah. That thing hinges. just
0: shoots off like a rocket yes. and like slams into the opposite row of lockers and makes a huge, a big old mess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I and I think when, when they do that, they will uh, shout, Agent Verity, stay where you are. And do I see the thing in front of me, this creature?
0: It is standing between you and Agent Verity as you you step out. You do notice, however, that despite freeing yourself from this paralysis, <laughs> you go to shout. No words come out. Oh, this whole space is completely silent.
1: Oh. And so even like the sound of me like blasting the locker door off its hinges, did that make any sound at all or no? No, okay. interesting.
0: Like Verity has clearly noticed you, yeah, but is just like looking at your lips moving and and does not understand what's happening.
1: Okay, I think at this point I try to yell and I realize that I can't. And I think, <laughs> I think that the Pax's first like instinct is to just throw the flashlight as hard as they can at the thing's head.
0: Amazing! <laughs> Give me a roll to kick some ass.
1: A thing I'm not good at. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, you know what? I have low expectations for my rolls tonight, and I'm just going to take it as a goes. Well, that's a six.
0: (laughs) Pax, you go to throw this flashlight, and this figure, you realize, is carrying a burlap sack. And as you go to throw this, they reach into it, rummage around, and very quickly produce a lock of hair
2: and you
0: recognize it (laughs) dyed bright blue and as you do you feel your muscles seize up and that flashlight falls wildly short of your toss agent verity in turn pulls his gun and your gun and starts (laughs) opening fire and several of his bullets strike this thing and they hit with dull thuds like striking bales of hay or something inanimate and this thing springs to action with a surprising speed it darts forward amidst this hail of gunfire takes that bag and throws it over verity and it swallows him whole
1: (gasps) oh my god
0: this figure hefts the bag over its shoulder cinches it up and just as your will is returning to you it opens one of the lockers and steps inside
1: I think as I see Verity get swallowed up, I'm screaming, but no sound is coming out, of course.
0: As this creature steps into the locker, slowly that sound returns and it starts as just a dull whistle, but grows and swells to a full-throated scream. And You can hear its counterpart coming from the locker where Zeke was stuffed into. Just a wild, terrified scream, suppressed until this moment.
1: Is this thing disappeared into the locker now, or can I still see it?
0: It stepped into the locker. Do you run over there?
1: Yeah, I I think I run over there, and I throw the locker door open.
0: Pax, you throw the door open, and inside, you can see this jagged, luminescent, lurid purple slit in reality. And the edges look like they're starting to almost, like, scab over, but you can see that there is a portal here that this thing seems to have just stepped through.
1: I think that without even thinking, I put my hands into the portal as it's trying to scab over, and I'm going to try and hold it open and see if I can maybe get through?
0: I don't think you know how to hold this open. You've been taught that there are other dimensions, Mm -hmm. but this isn't one you're familiar with, and any training about how to to hold open a, a rift like this is highly theoretical. I think all you know that you can do is follow.
1: Okay. Then I I just try and hold it open as much as I can to squeeze through before it closes altogether.
0: And you disappear inside. Before you is a dark labyrinthian space, a warren of twisting tunnels and misshapen chambers littered with shadowy outcroppings. At first all you can see are vague outlines as your eyes struggle to adjust. It's not until you are able to locate your flashlight and turn it on that you are able to perceive the true horror of this place. Surrounding you is an incomprehensible accumulation of life's daily sundries. You shine your light towards the nearest shape to reveal a bicycle jutting upward, wheel spinning idly. Next to it is a derelict washing machine. In the distance, an upright base mounted on an amplifier. You look down at the ground beneath your feet, crunching and shifting like loose gravel, to discover a sea of detritus, coin and keys and chapsticks and pens, so many pens, all compacted down like grains of sand in the desert. The contours of the space are defined not by walls, but rather by an increasing concentration of larger and heavier objects, reinforced with a slurry of compacted debris that simply become impassable. The ceiling is the same, a precarious arrangement of furniture, plywood, chain link, and drywall. You can't fathom how any of it can bear any structural weight, but it does. Pax, you are entombed with everything the world has lost or left behind. And resting in front of you, dull, watery illumination nearly swallowed up in the darkness, is Verity's phone.
1: Um, I go to pick up the phone.
0: There is an open note, hastily typed, That says, the collector.
1: And I I look around at the incredibly eclectic space around me. Of course. A collector.
0: Fan of your character, you would know that both Verity's phone and your phone would have access to the Bureau Dossiers.
1: Yeah, I look up the collector in the BAE database.
0: Luckily, access to the database is hardwired. It's not cloud access uh, because you have no cell reception here.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah, thank God. (laughs) But
0: you pull up the dossier on the collector. Mm -hmm. The collector, well, the collector is human, or at least it was once. Hmm. The bureau doesn't know exactly what happened, but at some point it fell under the corruptive influence of one magical item or another. And since then, it has made acquiring more its sole purpose. Hmm. Along the way, it seems to have developed a penchant for more mundane items as well, following whatever unseen plan it follows, but it is one of the Bureau's most wanted and most elusive entities.
1: I think I'm going to employ any tracking skills that I have, any sort of intuition that I would have as to where this creature has taken verity, also if there's like any kind of any sort of impromptu weapon I could use since I don't have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a flashlight.
0: <laughs> yeah, give me a role to investigate a mystery
1: <laughs> all right. I also realized I do still have the plus one forward, I think, from my mystic, which I forgot. But that that still applies here, right? Yeah. Okay, great. (laughs) Because I think I need it. (laughs) Okay. Oh, thank God. All right. I didn't even need it. That's an 11. Hold two. Ah, finally. Okay.
0: (laughs) You succeeded on a roll without
1: luck. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I think my first question is going to be, where did it go?
0: I think you are searching for any sign of where the collector has gone, for any sort of weapon, for anything that can help you. And as you're digging through this refuse, this horde of trinkets and baubles, your eyes fall upon an object, one that I think you have a passing familiarity with. Oh. Because there are records of it in the Bureau, an object that went missing many decades ago an ornate brass sextant known as the arcanometer, which allows the user to perceive and monitor magical activity.
1: Don't mind if I do.
0: You grab the device, hold it up to your eye, and the world fades into, it's almost like night vision, but instead of gradients of, of blue and orange and red, the world falls away into darkness, silver, and bright white light. And in the distance, you can see a long, lanky figure. Its form teeming with magical energy.
1: And with this, can I sense Verity at all?
0: I think you see what looks like a sack. Okay. Like a big sack. Yeah. And that whole thing is also brimming with magic.
1: Okay. So then I think I'll ask my second question. What is being concealed here?
0: Pax, I think you can also see near not not quite the same space, but near where the collector is, where Verity is, there's another smaller. I mean, there are little dots of magic all over this place. Like mm-hmm. the collector seems to have amassed a true trove of perhaps not the most potent magical items, but a whole host of them. Mm-hmm. And not all of them are are on its person. But you do see a more significant concentration And I think you know it could only be Metal Oh, shit. Only a practitioner of magic would have that signature.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I think holding the sextant still to keep track of where everything is, I'm going to... I need to sneak up on it, but I also don't really have a weapon, so I'm I'm going to maybe just try and sneak around for now and see if I can get a better look at where Metalark might be at and also the sack that has swallowed Verity and then go from there.
0: Yeah. Using the sextant, you navigate these tunnels, this this network, this labyrinth of lost items. It's slow going, and I think you have to be extra diligent to avoid making noise in this constantly shifting environment, passing by all all manner of strange items, but you are able to find the small alcove where Meadowlark is located. You can see that he is hanging up on a pair of meat hooks and is unconscious. I think he looks dead at first, honestly. And you would assume just by looks that he is if it weren't for the magic that was still coursing through his veins.
1: Right. So he'll be no help to me. But does he have a weapon on him still?
0: You walk over and start searching him. And I think you find that he has an emergency sidearm tucked away in a shoe holster, like a boot holster. Right. It has the same stats as your 9 millimeter. Okay, cool. And I think as you are uh, searching him, There's like a wet cough, and he he turns to look at you, weak and dazed.
1: I think I hold my fingers up to my lips, and I ask very quietly, what happened?
2: (laughs) I was investigating, looking for what happened. The next thing I know, that thing had me, thrown me into some dark space. And then it emptied me out of here, took everything I had, my weapons, all the, the bureau items and contacts, and it left me here. Pax, yeah, yeah, Stop. it has a knife. That's how it... That's how it goes back and forth. You have to get the knife. Get the knife. And get out. Trap it here. I don't think it can leave if it doesn't happen.
1: I'm not leaving without you. Or Verity.
2: Pex. It knows about the Bureau. It knows about the vault. It knows about everything in there. It's already so powerful. You need to put a stop to it. This is bigger than me. It's bigger than Verity. You have to put a stop to it.
1: I think that Pax stays quiet for a moment and says, I'm going to do everything I can to come back for you.
0: He nods and holds her gaze for as long as he can before he loses consciousness again.
1: I take the emergency sidearm. And now that I know the secret of how to get in and out of this lost item realm.
0: The space between spaces. This, yes, the nether realm.
1: This nexus between worlds. Pax, I-, I think, is going to continue to hide and observe this creature. And I think that I'd like to... If there's some way to immobilize it so that I can grab the knife that might be what Pax is trying to do. Uh, uh, pa- Pax is just kind of going through their their training in their head, everything that Verity has ever taught them, trying desperately to think of a way that they can grab this knife, but also rescue their mentor. And poor, poor Agent Meadowlark. <laughs> but they might be a lost cause at this point, but I think that they are going to try to cast a spell They're going to sort of covertly, while the creature is, you know, preoccupied, they're going to start to, maybe they have like salt or or something to sort of make a containment circle, something to hold them in place so that then they can take the knife and escape.
0: Yeah. So I think how this is going to happen is you're monitoring from afar, but to get close enough to really do this, you're going to need to get closer. So, I'm going to have you give me a roll to act under pressure, to navigate close enough to this creature, and to lay down the sort of material components, Mm -hmm. and then if you're able to do that, then we'll do a a roll to use magic.
1: Okay. All right. That's an eight, plus one forward is nine, so mixed success.
0: Okay. On a seven to nine, I'm going to give you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. Fuck. (laughs) Fuck. I mean, I think the worst outcome here is pretty straightforward. I think you get most of this situated Mm -hmm. before Verity notices you. Yeah. And he can't help but glance your direction. And when he does, so does this creature. And you see reflecting in the light of your flashlight the collector's two dull, dead, milky eyes as it springs towards you.
1: So I have not gotten all of my materials in place, correct?
0: No. So you're going to need to contend with the collector while you try to finish this.
1: Okay. I'm going to pull out this emergency sidearm. I'm going to attempt to shoot it. Just slow it down so that I can get to a place where I could start to cast this spell.
0: Are you trying to inflict harm or are you trying to outmaneuver it?
1: I'm shooting at it less to harm it, more to disorient it.
0: Give me a roll to act under pressure. Okay. To gain the upper hand here, I think.
1: Yeah. Okay, Um. that's an eight.
0: Okay, on a seven and nine, once again, I will give you a worse outcome, hard choice, or price to pay.
1: Great, love it.
0: <laughs> I think you can stand your ground and open fire on this creature, and it, it'll create an opening for you, but you're going to take a, a hit. You're going to take a pretty solid hit here. Or you can take more of a skirmish approach and uh, avoid getting getting hit, but it is uh, going to give time to this creature to, to get away, and you'll have to contend with that.
1: Right. I'll, I'll go ahead and take that hit.
0: The collector steps forward and undoes the bag from its side. And as you open fire, you strike it several times, but it opens the drawstring on this big burlap sack, and a fountain of debris shoots out towards you you're going to take two harm and you're going to be knocked backwards as you are blasted with essentially a fire hose of coins and (gasps) pens and knickknacks and baubles uh, and and just this fountain of trash, basically.
1: Yeah. Um, So I do have armor, so that's reduced to one harm. Yes. Okay, yeah. So I'm slammed backwards by this uh, (laughs) trash pile. I'm going to get up Most of my material components are in place. I I want to get whatever's not in place in place and then to cast my spell. And uh, hopefully it's, uh, as you said, sort of wounded, right?
0: Yeah. So it has taken a handful of shots. You can see it's not uh, somewhat alarmingly given that the file says this thing is human, uh, at least in some way. It's not bleeding, but you can (laughs) see there are several bullet holes in it. Okay. Okay. It has staggered back several steps and is now sort of riding itself and skittering. It's actually skittering towards Verity, but you do have an opening to finish the components that you need to Uh use magic. So go ahead and give me a roll plus weird.
1: All right, Dice, let's go. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) That's a four.
0: Oh, no. (gasps) Oh,
1: my God. Oh, no. (gasps) Oh, I'm going to (laughs) die.
0: On a miss, things go to hell. How would this have looked if it had gone well?
1: I think that the sigils on the ground would have lit up, that suddenly the creature would have been frozen in place. But it would have been like this sort of light prison that would have appeared from the ground where they were leaving their components.
0: I think you realize that you laid one of the sigils down on a bit of surface that wasn't completely even, and so it split, and the whole thing just kind of fizzles Fuck! amidst the flash of light that ultimately materializes into nothing. The Collector leaps forward onto Verity and kind of pulls him upright. You can see he is paralyzed, the same sort of semi-sleep paralysis that had affected you earlier. Yeah. Hoists Verity up and holds him in front of it like a human shield. And it's got the dagger pressed against Verity's neck.
1: Can I see Verity's eyes at all?
0: I think Verity's eyes are flitting back and forth. And as they do, he looks down at the burlap sack tied to the collector's waist.
1: Oh. I'm going to lift my sidearm and shoot forward the sack and see if I can cause a distraction enough that I can get this knife.
0: Okay. Give me another roll to act under pressure.
1: Thank God. It's a nine plus a one is a 10. <laughs> All right. On
0: a 10 plus, you achieve what you set out to do. Yes, I think this creature is holding Verity and, and moving towards you. Like This is not a hostage situation. Verity is a human shield right now. Yeah. And you take aim, but instead of trying to hit the collector and its long sort of spindly form, limbs just reaching out from around Verity, you take aim at that Satchel that it's been carrying that it had Verity and stuffed earlier that it just unleashed a fountain of debris upon you with, and you shoot it. And as soon as the bullet strikes it, it explodes. And just flowing from every direction, filling the section of the warren that you're in is just detritus everywhere, just tsunami of debris. You and the collector and Verity are all washed down one of these tunnels. Until, eventually, you come to rest in another space. The three of you, all prone, all on equal footing. Okay. What do you do?
1: Do I see the knife?
0: Yes, it is grasped firmly in the Collector's hand. But Verity is not. Verity is free.
1: Okay. Okay. For now, I'm going to take my gun again and shoot at this creature's hand with the knife. I want it to drop the knife, and I want to grab it.
0: Give me a roll to kick some ass.
1: Okay. (laughs) That's fucking six.
0: You shoot at this long, lanky figure, this boogeyman, and it skitters towards you. And in a flash, it's just right up in your face. And that knife is in your body. You feel sharp stabbing pain all across your chest and torso. And you're going to take two harm magic, which will ignore your armor.
1: Ow. I'm at three harm then. So is it still holding on to the knife as it stabs me with it?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: All right. I think I'm going to, because I used it once already, but again, I'm going to try and use magic with these sigils, and runes that are tattooed on me. I'm going to try and like force it away from me, but keeping the knife in my side.
0: <laughs> oh, so you want to like trap the knife in your body?
1: Yeah, like I want to separate the creature and the knife so that I can use the knife to get away. <laughs>
0: I think it is rad as hell if you activate your tattoo along, you know, with some other components, but like activate uh-huh. your tattoo to trap the knife in your body so that this creature can't use.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Give me a roll to use magic. Okay. That's fucking cool.
1: Yeah. Okay. Please God. <laughs> please God let this work. Uh, ooh, I don't know. Should I use these dice? I don't
0: your dice oh. none of your dice seem to be helping Oh, you.
1: thank God. Okay, but it's like feast or famine. Okay, that's an eleven.
0: <laughs> okay. On a ten plus it works as intended. This thing stabs you again. Uh, and I think you have to take another harm here oh, just yeah, yeah, yeah. narratively. But the, the collector drives this knife into you again, this too keen blade, and it goes to pull it out and stumbles backwards as it just won't come out of your body.
1: I just smile. And my smile is bloody and I just go, you know, nice try, motherfucker.
0: I think as you say that from behind in the darkness, you can see a figure emerging and Verity leaps on top of the collector and tackles it into like a mound of debris.
1: I'm super injured, obviously. So I I feel like I, I try to like kind of go after them, but I think I sort of falter I'm realizing the only way that we make it out of here is I need to figure out how to activate this knife so that we can escape.
0: Pax, you grip this knife in your hand, and you can feel how keen it is. It's sharpened to just almost an infinitesimal sense. You hold it out and make an incision in reality itself. And through this, this wound in space and time, you can see just narrowly a dark forest filled with, with giant pine trees just scarcely illuminated by the moonlight out in front of you.
1: I see that. And what's happening with Verity?
0: Verity and the Collector are wrestling basically on a, a heap of debris. The collector without its knife is just stabbing at Verity with like random implements that it finds. And I don't think Verity has any weapons. He's just trying to like pin this thing and hold on to it.
1: I think that there is like this really pivotal moment where Pax is looking after Verity. And I think because we've been doing this uh, the whole session where they tend to exchange a lot of looks, I think Pax locks eyes with Verity trying to move towards them but is weak does Verity say or do anything
0: I think amidst this melee this brawl Verity catches sight of you like it's just for a moment and then this creature like buries him in refuse uh, and he sort of pops back up He he surfaces again looks at you and calmly but clearly shouts to you run
1: Tax has always so respected Agent Verity. And even though they sometimes might give him a bit of like lip or be kind of stubborn or whatever, they ultimately, they're a good agent. They do what they're told. And I think in that moment, they know that they cannot let this thing escape and continue to wreak havoc. I think they like look back at Verity one last time and jump through the portal.
0: As you step through behind you, you can see the rift already beginning to scab over, and the Collector looks, and for the first time, you hear a noise come from it, and it is an anguished scream. It leaps for the rift, but before it can get there, it is tackled by Verity, and the whole thing scabs over and disappears.
1: Pax just sags to the ground. They're just staring at the place that the portal was.
0: And we fade away. We see a scene a few days later of the director's office at the Bureau of Aberrant Events. O'Shaughnessy is sitting at his desk, swiping through Files' reports on his tablet. Pax, you are seated there with him. And eventually he tosses the device aside and it lands with an overdramatic thud. And he looks at you and sighs deeply. I know it's probably not what you want to hear, but you did the right thing, Pax. (laughs) Lord knows what that thing would have wrought with all of its knowledge of the Bureau's vaults and activities.
1: Yes. I hope you'll forgive me saying so, but it doesn't feel like I did the right thing.
0: You kept the world safe, Agent.
1: (sighs) What is to be done with the dagger?
0: It will be safely secured in the vault.
1: Is there any way that we could mount a rescue mission? We have the dagger. We know what this creature is capable of. If we had enough agents, we could take the fight to it.
0: Pax... I read your report. They're gone.
1: We don't know that.
0: But we do know that creating another rift to that space, the space between spaces, that only has the potential for chaos. You did well, Agent. Let's leave it at that.
1: I think at that, Pax just nods, if you need me, I'll be at my desk.
0: I have a feeling that I will, Agent Pax. This world still needs saving.
1: (sighs) All right. (laughs) Woo!
0: Thank you, Reed, for, for joining me. This was uh, this was a blast. I know a heavy one, certainly, but- um, Oh my gosh, so a, a lot of fun much fun. Exploring the history of our, our favorite BAE bay agent, Agent Pax. <laughs>
1: Pax definitely is my bay.
0: I think many people feel that way. Oh,
1: yes, yes. No, that was such a blast. I'm glad I could succeed where it counted. The dice truly do tell a story.
0: Boy, your, throw out all your dice, Reed. <laughs> Just burn them all Honestly, and start new. I need
1: to do a ritual of some kind. In this yeah. Case. <laughs> uh.
0: Well, thank you again, Reed, for, for joining me. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Please be sure to go check out Demos Paradox and bring your own mech uh, and listen to Reed and yes, all please. of their awesome work. And until next time,
1: stay spooky.